him and his empire. A deity who not only couldn't protect his people from the might of Pharaoh, but who had absolutely no authority in his land over his people. Puny, pathetic, and until now, completely unnamed. So when Moses and Aaron turn up as representatives of this pathetic enslaved people and say, "Um, excuse me, Mr. Pharaoh, our God, who, who, by the way, is now called Yahweh, he, he says to let us all go. Pharaoh understandably responds with something like, what? You're kidding me? Yahweh? Who the heck is Yahweh? Whoever he is, he's got nothing. And he's certainly got no business coming in here and making demands of me. Tell him to get stuffed. In fact, I'm going to make life even worse for his people, so see how he likes that. Now, admittedly, you're not going to find that in the NIV, but it's certainly what Pharaoh meant by the words, who is Yahweh? I don't know Yahweh. And as we come to see, he certainly didn't know Yahweh, because if he did, he may well have answered very differently. But from the outset, we see that this is going to be a good old-fashioned showdown. Pharaoh has set himself up in direct opposition to Yahweh. And why wouldn't he? He certainly didn't think he had anything to fear. Well, how wrong he was. Some people who've spent lots of time studying the book of Exodus say that the whole of the rest of the book is really an answer to Pharaoh's question here. Who is Yahweh? And that knowing Yahweh is the theme and ultimate goal of the plagues. And in fact, on a number of occasions, we see God himself say that the whole reason he's doing what he's doing is so that people will know that I am Yahweh. In effect, what he's saying is that in a world which thinks there are all sorts of gods and all sorts of divine powers, you need to know that the one who is doing all these things is Yahweh, the God of Israel. And one of the places this is shown most clearly is in the passage we had read earlier on. So have a look with me in your Bibles at Exodus chapter 9, starting at verse 13. Then the Lord said to Moses, get up early in the morning, confront Pharaoh and say to him, this is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews says, let my people go so that they may worship me. Or this time I will send the full force of my plagues against you and against your officials and your people so you may know that there is no one like me in all the earth. For by now I could have stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with a plague that would have wiped you off the earth, but I've raised you up for this very purpose, that I might show you my power and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. You still set yourself against my people and will not let them go. Therefore, at this time tomorrow, I will send the worst hailstorm that has ever fallen on Egypt from the day it was founded till now." Remember what Pharaoh arrogantly said earlier? I don't know Yahweh. Well, here Yahweh says, okay, I'll show you who Yahweh is. And when I do, you will know that there is absolutely no one like me. So what is Yahweh like? Well, the first thing we see is that he is sovereign. But what's he sovereign over? I mean, in Pharaoh's eyes, Yahweh may have had the allegiance of the Hebrew people, But considering they were enslaved under him, Yahweh wasn't even sovereign over their fate. He certainly wasn't sovereign over Egypt, as far as Pharaoh was concerned. And as for anywhere else, well, the Hebrews didn't even have a place to call home at this point, so it's not like he could claim dominion over any other part of the world. That was Pharaoh's perspective. Now let's see what Yahweh has to say about his sovereignty throughout the plagues. 
First of all, in the midst of the second plague, the plague of frogs, Moses says to Pharaoh, You will know that there is no one like Yahweh our God. Here we see Yahweh still depicted as the God of the Hebrews. He is our God, Moses says. But then in that same chapter, when Yahweh is threatening to send the fourth plague, the plague of flies, he says to Pharaoh, you will know that I, Yahweh, am in this land. Now to you and me, that might not sound very significant, but to Pharaoh, the claim that some other God was active in his territory was not only a massive slap in the face, it was like a full-blown invasion. Remember, Pharaoh is like a god in Egypt and has set himself up in opposition to Yahweh, and now Yahweh had invaded his territory. Then, as we saw earlier, God says, chapter 9, verse 14, that he would send the seventh plague, hail, so you may know that there is no one like me in all the earth. So again, we see the stakes being raised. And finally, we see Moses claim not only that Yahweh is the most powerful there is in all the earth, but that the earth, including Egypt, actually belongs to Yahweh. He says that he will stop the hailstorm so you may know that the earth is Yahweh's. This is no mere local or national deity, as Moses says. And his words are echoed by the psalmist hundreds of years later when he says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. But we don't just need to take Moses' word for it, because in the actual plagues themselves, we see evidence of this sovereignty as Yahweh manipulates nature to bring about his purposes. The clearest of all the examples, of course, is when he causes darkness to fall over the land for three whole days, the ninth plague. It's easy to skip over this verse in a few short seconds, but to the Egyptians, it must have been the longest three days of their lives. Can you imagine being in darkness for three whole days, not knowing if the sun would ever shine again? If you hail from far northern reaches of Scandinavia, maybe you know what that feels like, and not just for three days. But that's all part of the natural order of things. But here, in Egypt, a country bathed in sunshine one minute, and then bam, utter darkness the next, for three whole days. Who can do that? except the one who controls nature itself, the creator of all things. And it's even more significant when you realise that one of the most supreme of all Egyptian gods was Ra, the god of the sun. This is him. The Egyptians believed Ra not only ruled in all parts of the created world, but that he created all forms of life and called each of them into existence by speaking. Sound familiar? I reckon it would have sounded pretty familiar to Yahweh. And in the ultimate display of his power over this so-called God of the sun, Yahweh simply turned out the lights. Doesn't get much more humiliated than that if you're the Egyptian sun god. And while we're on the topic of nature, it's worth very quickly addressing a theory that sometimes gets bandied about, that the plagues were all just natural phenomena. Like when the Nile turned to blood, it was just a whole lot of red algae which the frogs then didn't like, so they jumped out of the river and ended up dying of dehydration, meaning that the insects, such as gnats and flies, started proliferating. And on it goes, in this link of plagues, one after the other. Now, there's lots that could be said about this theory, but for now, it'll suffice to say that there are some pretty large holes in it, 
and more importantly, the biblical text which we are in fact gathered around to study here today claims that Yahweh was either directly or indirectly through Moses and Aaron the source of every single one of the plagues. The other point that needs to be addressed in passing is the role of Pharaoh's so-called magicians who are able to replicate some, though not all, of the plagues. Now, whatever we think about the spiritual powers at play in the work of these magicians, the role they play in the biblical story is not to undermine the supremacy of Yahweh, as if they could just casually match whatever he was able to do, but to emphasise his supremacy as they find themselves getting further and further out of their depths as they try to keep up with the power of Yahweh. And ultimately, they end up begging Pharaoh to give up, to acknowledge Yahweh's superiority and let the Hebrew people go. So we see through the plagues that Yahweh is sovereign. But if he's able to do all that, well, you might be thinking, why doesn't he just rescue his people from slavery by squirreling them away in the middle of the night and be done with it? Well, I think there's two reasons why he didn't do it like that. One is because, as we've seen, the major reason for this showdown is so that people will come to know Yahweh and know that he is the one and only true God of all creation. And the other is so that they will come to know what Yahweh is like. You see, if the Hebrew people just disappeared in the middle of the night, never to be seen in Egypt again, well, Pharaoh might have been disappointed at losing a fair chunk of his workforce, but no one would have come to know anything much about Yahweh at all. Certainly not that he's sovereign over Egypt, and certainly not that he is a God of justice. And that's the second thing we learn about Yahweh through the plagues. He is just. Let's not forget, Pharaoh is not only someone who has set himself up as a god and arrogantly opposed God himself. He is someone who has brutally enslaved the Hebrew people and ordered the systematic murder of every one of their newborn baby boys. Now imagine if the all-powerful God of the universe saw something like that going on and thought, you know what, if I go in and punish Pharaoh, things are going to get pretty messy. And to make it worse, in a few thousand years' time, people will look back on this and think I was really mean to poor old Pharaoh. So you know what, it'll be easier if I just whisk my people out of there when he's not looking and we can put this whole unfortunate episode behind us. Is that the sort of God you want to worship? Is that the sort of God whose sovereignty you could actually trust? Well, the plagues is one of the ways that Yahweh shows us that he's not like that. He's a God who resolutely opposes evil in all its forms and who doesn't allow sin to go unpunished. He is just. But despite the justice we see inherent in Yahweh's actions here, this is ironically also the point at which many people want to complain that God is actually acting unjustly, particularly in hardening Pharaoh's heart. So we ought to spend a minute or two thinking about what's going on when Yahweh does this. The first thing to remember is that Pharaoh is absolutely resolved to oppose Yahweh in divine battle. Hence, on three separate occasions, we see that it's not actually Yahweh who hardens Pharaoh's heart, but Pharaoh himself. He had the choice to acknowledge Yahweh's sovereignty, but he chose not to. This is no innocent puppet being played by a malicious puppeteer. He is 100% complicit in his rejection of Yahweh and his demands. So when Yahweh is seen as the one who hardens Pharaoh's heart, it's important that we see this in the sense of stiffening Pharaoh's resolve to oppose God, rather than imposing on Pharaoh something he didn't 
already want to do. And in our passage from chapter 9, Yahweh tells us why it had to happen this way. Look with me at verses 15 and 16 in your Bibles. By now I could have stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with a plague that would have wiped you off the earth. But, verse 16, I have raised you up for this very purpose, that I might show you my power and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. We need to remember that the whole reason for this showdown is so that people will come to know Yahweh. If Yahweh had simply exterminated Egypt in a heartbeat, no one in that land would have come to know Yahweh. And if he'd allowed Pharaoh to roll over and cave in at the first sign of Yahweh's true power, then the full force of God's righteous anger would also never have been clearly seen. No, the showdown needed to play out in all its shocking fullness. And mercifully, as a result, many native Egyptians themselves got to see the sovereignty and justice of Yahweh and turned to him. We're told in chapter 9, verse 20, for example, that there were officials in Pharaoh's court who feared the word of Yahweh and responded accordingly. And we're told in chapter 12 that after the last plague, when Israel finally does leave Egypt, that many other people went up with them. Throughout the plague sequence, they had come to really know Yahweh, and had become a part of his people. But the Egyptians weren't the only ones who needed to come to know Yahweh. If we remember back to last week, we saw how Moses was worried how he would describe God to the Hebrews. And so he asked for a name. Clearly, after 400 years or so in Egypt, God's people had become pretty unfamiliar with the God of their forefathers. And even if they hadn't forgotten about him, after 400 years or so, they certainly must have felt like he'd forgotten about them. But yet in this showdown with their oppressors, we see Yahweh's ultimate purpose to create a people for himself. And if he's to do so, it's imperative that his people come to know him. So he says, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am Yahweh, your God, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. Here we see one of the most important elements of the entire Exodus story, and one which I'm sure Scott will expand upon next week when we look at the Passover. Yahweh is a God who redeems his people. Just before these verses, God told Moses that in the past, he just appeared to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob as God Almighty, but that now he was revealing himself as Yahweh, So there's something new being revealed about God here. What is it that's distinctive about Yahweh as opposed to God Almighty? The one who made the heavens and the earth. Well, it's this, isn't it? I am Yahweh, your God, who brought you out. This, from now on, is how Yahweh will be described in the biblical account. Far more often than he's described as the creator God. He is the redeemer God. Over and over again, we hear God describe himself in these terms. I am Yahweh, your God, who brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. This bringing out, this exodus, is the biblical event that defines who Yahweh is. Scott told us last week that he is the God of personal covenant faithfulness. What does that look like? Well, it looks like this. It looks like redemption of his people. 
Ultimately, the plagues aren't just so that Pharaoh gets his comeuppance or so that the Hebrews can mock the Egyptians and say, we told you so, our God is better than your gods. No, they are a crucial part in God's people themselves, really coming to know the one to whom they are bound in covenant faithfulness. They come to know him as the God who redeems his people. So we've seen that Yahweh is a sovereign God of justice and redemption. That's our God too, isn't it? That's why when Paul was writing to Titus, he could talk of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own. That, right there, is the Yahweh we've seen in the Exodus, isn't it? That is our sovereign, just, redeemer God who has made a way out. An Exodus for us, his people. That's Jesus Christ. We weren't slaves to Egypt, we were slaves to sin. And just like Yahweh disarmed Pharaoh and the Egyptian gods made a public spectacle of them and triumphed over them by the plagues. Paul tells us that Jesus Christ, having disarmed the powers and authorities, made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. That is our God. This story of the plagues has shown us how important it is for God's people to really know God. What's the God you know like? If you think he's always just judgmental, then have a look at Yahweh and see how he sees the plight of the oppressed, how he rescues them from their slavery, and how he welcomes anyone who who would acknowledge who he really is. But if you think God is just a friendly grandpa floating on a cloud, or a total hippie who just accepts everyone no matter what, then have a look at Yahweh, who brings the full might of his righteous anger against the evils of human oppression and against those who stand in proud defiance of him. But most importantly, have a look at Jesus, because in him we see that the God who sent the plagues on Egypt more than 3,000 years ago is still our God. In Jesus Christ he has shown his sovereignty, even over death itself. And in Jesus Christ, he has shown his justice by pouring out his wrath against evil. And in Jesus Christ, he has redeemed for himself a people by taking the full force of that wrath upon himself. And when that's the kind of God we know, then we can surely say with absolute confidence that there is no one like him in all the earth. Let's pray. Mighty God and Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are not only sovereign, but that you are just and that you have redeemed us from the power of sin. Lord, we thank you that you have loved us enough to send your only Son, the Lord Jesus, to his death so that we can live and live with you forever. Lord, we praise you that you do not leave sin unpunished. But we praise you all the more that you have made a way out, an exodus for us through the cross of your son, the Lord Jesus. 
And we pray that we would not be changed, that we would be changed as a result of knowing this more clearly, for your glory and for his sake. Amen. We're going to sing our final song now, so how about you stand? This is also the offertory song. This is also our offertory song.